You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, hey, good morning. I have good news. I just opened up my weather app. 57 degrees this afternoon. And I am sending a subliminal message. See this shirt? It stands for something. Anybody know what? Yeah. So if you're a golfer out there and you want to get golfing, I know some of you think I'm weird, but I like golf. It's time to golf. So anybody want to golf this coming week? Oh, well, I fell flat, Dave. Maybe. Got no friends, no golf buddies. How do you guys like to golf? Well, let's golf then. All right, meet me in the back and we'll put together a foursome, right? A squad, whatever. I right, forget that. But 57, remember last year? Last year was like evil. We canceled two services and then had two interrupted services. This year it's like, God loves Iowa. Sure do. All right. All right, so let's get to, to real stuff. Um, Tuesday, I get a text from a fellow that I deeply love and appreciate. His photo is on the screen. Remember this guy? Kevin Ray. Remember Kevin? So for those of you who have been around, this is Kevin Ray. And so Kevin texts, and he says, hey, uh, is that summer internship still in an opening? And I said, well, let's talk. We talked the next day. And uh, fast forward, Kevin Ray is coming this summer to serve with us in a pastoral role. Uh, And the reason I share that story is, folks, because in pastoral ministry, sometimes it's really hard. Other times it's just really cool and glorious. We have the privilege to see God change people's lives. Kevin's backstory is a few years ago, guess what? He declared himself an atheist, running hard and partying, really just living a life away from God. Then, God works in his life, kind of recalibrates a little bit, heads over to Iowa State, gets involved in the salt company, winds up at Westwind just for four or five months. You had an impact on him, that's why he wants to come back. The young pros loves you guys, looking forward to hanging out this summer. But think about it, in a two-year run, you went from atheism to now being called to vocational pastoral ministry. Kevin's at Liberty University. He uh, will be an RA next year, and um, we have the privilege to see him again this summer. I'm so thankful. And that points me to this beautiful truth in Ecclesiastes 3.14. Follow with me, it's on the screen. I know that all God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. Notice this next phrase. God works so that people will stand in awe of him. That's one of my life verses right there. And as Jamie prayed, to go into every day with eyes wide open, looking for God works. And when he shows up, we then have the privilege to stand in awe of him. Kevin is just one example of many stories, day in and day out, week in and week out, standing in awe of him. 
We come to a passage this morning in Luke where two people encounter the living Christ and their lives are changed forever. And the result of the transformation was standing in awe of the Lord. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. And we got a lot of territory to cover this morning. We're going to look from 12 to 26. Two stories, a lot of material. Stick with me and then we'll wrap this morning up with a celebration of communion the Lord's Supper. If you have your Connect card, I always like to start with a blessing, and it is this. The life and ministry of Jesus should cause each one of us to stand in awe of him. That directly comes from this passage this morning. So, three things. Number one, stand in awe of his healing touch. Luke chapter 5, 12 through 16. Follow with me. While Jesus was in one of the towns, we're in Galilee still, a man was there who had a serious skin disease all over him, leprosy. He saw Jesus, fell face down, key phrase, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately, what a beautiful word, the disease left him. Then Jesus ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And we'll visit that. It's Leviticus 14 that uh, Jesus is directing him to follow. But the news about him spread even more. Large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses, yet he often withdrew to deserted places. There's a mini application right there, folks. When you pour yourself out in ministry like Jesus did, you got to find those places of silence, solitude, prayer, and communion. That is the pattern of our Savior. He pours himself out, then he retreats to get replenished. Now, I have a difficult task here to bridge the gap between our world and the ancient world. Leprosy was everywhere in the ancient world. It still exists around the globe, places like India and so forth, but we are so detached from it. So I'm gonna work hard to bridge the gap between then and now and give you an idea of what it was like to live as a leper 2,000 years ago. And so leprosy in the ancient world like the coronavirus of today, had a terrifying and emotional impact on people. One scholarly commentator called this the living death. Leprosy was the Ebola, the West Nile virus, or black death of its day. So I'm gonna walk through four uh, things that help us capture it. So let's start physically. Physically, leprosy is a chronic infectious disease affecting especially the skin and the nerves. It is characterized by the formation of nodules or scabs that enlarge and literally can spread over the whole body. It results in loss of feeling or sensation and the damaging of fingers, toes, nose, extremities, eventually resulting in paralysis, wasting of muscle, deformities, and then death. We have records of the ancient world that maybe a person could live 20, 30 years at best with leprosy. It was that debilitating. Now, look what Dr. Luke says, verse 12. 
Dr. Luke says this man had an advanced case and he was covered. His whole body was covered with leprosy. Now socially, if someone contracted leprosy, that person would be identified by all. And here's the hard thing, folks. They'd be banished from their home and their community. Lepers lived quarantined, even from the immediate family, wife, children, and were excluded from any social activity. Spiritually, along with being an outcast from society, lepers were called spiritually unclean, and they couldn't come to a worship service like this. They couldn't attend synagogue and fellowship with other believers and worship God. Psychologically, let me show you what Leviticus 13 says. The person afflicted with an infectious skin disease is to have his clothes torn, his hair hanging loose. He must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. He'll remain unclean as long as he has the infection. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. Just imagine having your identity in life represented by two words, unclean, unclean. You put this together, this package deal of the physical, social, spiritual, and psychological, this was a lonely, desperate, hurting individual who literally in the ancient world was just waiting to die. So what happens? In desperation and humility, this man takes great risk. He breaks the Levitical code, and he approaches Jesus. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke 5.12. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and I love this next phrase, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I think there is much to learn from this gentleman regarding this prayer of faith. There are some people who do not pray. Why? Either because they're just so self-sufficient or their life does not have any immediate or crisis or need. Other people pray, but typically just on occasion when needs arise. However, I believe this. Biblical prayer is more like this man pleading with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said, apart from me, folks, you can do nothing. We need him. We're desperate for him. James, the brother of Jesus, understood prayer like this when he wrote, the urgent, the fervent, the passionate request of a righteous person prevails much. And so, notice how he begins his prayer. He says, Lord Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He recognizes that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now you're going to see in a little bit, the religious leaders did not. And what Luke is intentionally doing over the next uh, few chapters, he is contrasting how the religious establishment relates to Jesus as Messiah and the average person who was broken in the community. Many embraced him, but not the religious and so in humility he cries, Jesus, I worship you as Lord. I believe you have the power to heal and I am begging you to do so. Now please note, this man did not question Jesus' ability, only his willingness. He wanted to be made clean. He wanted to become 
a person again. He longed to be reunited probably with his wife and kids, his community. He wanted to be a worshiper in the house of God, the synagogue. He wanted fellowship. So what does Jesus do? Look at verse 13. I love this statement. Jesus, reaching out his hand, touched him saying, I am willing to be made clean. And immediately the disease left him. The Gospel of Mark records the same account but adds one beautiful piece. Let me show it to you. Mark 141 says, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand, touched him. I'm willing, he told him, be made clean. Because of love and compassion, Jesus reaches out and touches him. An act no one else in that society would dare take. Now, I think we realize Jesus could have simply spoke words of healing. But he didn't just speak words of healing. He literally reached out and touched this man. I believe there's a reason why. Touch is such an amazing and powerful gift. Child psychologists inform us that without touch, a baby will not develop properly. I find it interesting that touch is one of the five love languages outlined in Gary Chapman's book. I believe this. We all have the love language of touch. It is innately built into us. We need to be touched by each other, but ultimately by God. What are you laughing at, Nate? You got the... Okay. All right, well, hey... There's always an exception to the rule. Thanks, Jamie, for a little bit of levity. Loving that. (laughs) All right. I'm never going to ask why you're laughing again. So, can you imagine, guys? Just think it through. Just pause. Who knows how long it's been since someone touched this man? A handshake, a hug. Just a touch, an embrace. And yet Jesus intentionally reaches out and he touches. Given the cultural context, that is a radical gesture of love and acceptance. That is why at Westwind we constantly say this, be generous, right? Time, treasure, talent, and touch. It's everywhere in Scripture. And we're going to see Luke constantly demonstrates that Jesus gets up close and personal. He is compassionate. He is caring. He touches. What a privilege we have as individuals and as the church to be the proverbial body of Christ and reach out and touch someone. I always like to say thank you and celebrate God works in and through his church. And so the past few weeks, we've been championing this ministry to support uh, single parent provision ministry. Let me show you a few photos. We had uh, kids and parents gather and they put together what's called these blessing bags. And our partner, Single Parent Provision, works with hundreds of single parents and at the right time, they'll hand out those blessing bags and touch someone. Some of you participated in that, thank you. Some of you donated resources, thank you. But that's just a little step in the right direction of being generous with our touch. 
Now we're going to get to a harder part of this message. Look at verse 15. So Jesus reaches out and touches. The man gets healed, but now the directive, verse 15. Then Jesus ordered him to tell no one, most likely because, um, boy, you can draw great crowds when this kind of healing ministry takes place. However, word gets out, the crowds come. So then he says, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, here's the interesting thing. In Judaism, they knew exactly what that meant. He's pointing, Jesus is pointing this man back to Leviticus 14. He's saying, listen, Moses gave instruction of how a leper, when cleansed, would reenter the community. Now, I'm going to do my best to summarize Leviticus 14. You don't need to turn there, but I am going to conclude with one really important verse. So a leper is cleansed, and the priest would meet with the leper outside the community. So they'd still be somewhat quarantined. If the priest in Judaism declared the individual cleansed, certain rituals would have to take place. The first one was two birds would be brought. They'd kill one take the blood, mix it with water, and take the blood and water and sprinkle it seven times on the leper. I know that sounds gross. I know it sounds weird. But it's a foreshadowing of the substance to come. Think about it, folks. The Bible says that we are washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is a type of the reality to come that in the shedding of blood there is forgiveness of sin. The second thing that would happen is one of the birds would be set free. How interesting. One has blood shed, the other one's set free. Why? Jesus said, if the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. Do you remember Jubilee a few weeks ago? Jubilee is all about freedom. It's all about release, setting the captive free, setting the oppressed free. This is happening to this man. He's now cleansed. He's washed. He's being set free. There's another beautiful thing that happens. Again, it sounds kind of unusual to us, but the individual would have to shave his hair, beard, eyebrows, and all hair would have to come off the individual's body. And then they go into ritual purification, washing, cleansing. Why? That's the picture. Washed by the word of God. John chapter 3, being born again by the water and the spirit. And so in this leprosy being healed, we have this picture of blood cleansing, freeing, being born again. Now the kicker, and I love this. Leviticus 14, 25, there would be three more sacrifices. Three more animals uh, would be killed. The blood would be shed. Follow along with me. After the slaughters, the male lamb, for the restitution offering, the priest is to take some of the blood of the restitution offering and put it on the right earlobe of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot. Now, again, I know this sounds so unusual. When was the last time we've practiced something like that? But don't miss the symbol here, folks. Now you belong to God. 
You have been forgiven, cleansed by the blood. You have been washed clean. You have been born again. Now you, have, you belong to God. And what happens? There's blood on your ear. And here's the beautiful thing. From now on, you listen to his voice. There's blood on your thumb, your right hand. From this day forward, you serve the Lord wholeheartedly and passionately. There's blood on the toe. What does that mean? You're going to walk in all his ways. What a beautiful day for this guy. To be cleansed to be made new, to go from unclean, unclean, to clean, reinstated, now listening, serving, walking in all God's ways. Now, friends, please hear me. This is a picture of God's redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. Those who turn to Jesus for cleansing are made clean. God took his filth away, gave his dignity back. The man gets a brand new identity to live with as if he were born again. Now, this may surprise you, and I might get a few emails on this, but God's word presents leprosy as the spiritual condition for all humanity. Have you ever thought about that? If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it's on the screen. But I want to show you something. God's talking to Israel, but it's a picture of humanity. God says this, why do you keep on rebelling? The whole head is hurt. The whole heart is sick. From the sole of the foot even to the head, no spot is uninjured. Now notice the next words. Wounds, welts, festering sores, not cleansed, bandaged, or soothed with oil. Spiritual leprosy is a condition we were born with. I know that's hard to hear. The Bible calls it depravity, and it is incurable outside the work of Christ at Calvary. Spiritual leprosy results in separation from God, literally outside the proverbial spiritual camp. Spiritual leprosy makes us unclean and insensitive. It is a state that ultimately leads to death. Sin brings death. So the Bible says we are all metaphorically spiritual lepers. Sinners by nature and sinners by choice. However, God addresses our spiritual leprosy in and through Jesus Christ. When Jesus encounters this leper, he reaches out and touches him. And friends, Jesus has been reaching out and touching people for the past 2,000 years with his cleansing, healing touch. That's what he did for Kevin Ray. To move from atheism and partying and turning his back on God to now having a love for the Lord with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And yes, I have good news. Regardless of how bad your spiritual leprosy is, he is willing to touch you today. And so, we stand in awe of him. Why? We all have the privilege to go from unclean, unclean, to be cleansed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Have you experienced his cleansing work? Has he washed your sins away? Can you say today, clean God and I stand in awe of you? That's the gospel. That's the good news. And so we have a new identity because of Christ. And it's a beautiful word. 
we are clean. Thank the Lord for that. Secondly, standing off is divine forgiveness. Look at verses uh, 17 through 19. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came, carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in, set, be- set him before- down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, I love this, they went up on the roof, lowered him on a mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. I just want to pause and say, talk about friendship. What a, what a great group of friends, so determined to introduce their buddy to Jesus that they ripped somebody's roof off their home to get him in the presence of, of the Savior. And a simple reading of the story challenges us to ask the question, how passionate are we to introduce people to Jesus? Folks, that's what it should do. It should inspire. They love their buddy enough to get him into the presence of Jesus. How passionate are we to introduce our loved ones, our friends, to Jesus? So, mission accomplished. Let's look at verses 20 through 26. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Notice the response by the religious establishment. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to think, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Then he gives a challenge. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, get up and walk. But, so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What does he do? He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Pick up your mat and go home. Notice the next word. We saw it before. Immediately he got up before them. Picked up what he had been lying on. And went home. Look at the response. Glorifying God. Then everyone was astonished, and they were given glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. I want you to note verse 20 just for a moment. Look how Jesus addresses this guy. Never met him before, right? Kind of meeting gets interrupted, roof gets opened up, all kinds of mud and junk falling into the meeting. What does he say? He calls him friend. He calls him friend. And that greeting is vitally important because just like the leper, a lame man in the ancient world was socially alienated. So Luke presents another example of Jesus accepting the outcast and marginalized of society. Luke does, however, contrast Jesus' love, his touch, his acceptance and forgiveness with the religious establishment who went off in a totally different direction criticizing, condemning, wait a second, this is crazy, only God can forgive sins, blasphemer, who do you think you are? Well, Jesus knew who he was. He's the Messiah. He's the Redeemer. He's the Savior. He's the one who's ushering in Jubilee, all debts canceled. 
And so he throws that out, yes, it gets the religious establishment bent out of shape, but then he responds. Logic tells us that it is easier to say one's sins are forgiven since they cannot be seen. But here's the cool thing. In fact, that is a more difficult thing to say. Why? Because one must have divine authority to do that. So Jesus links these two issues together. He acts so that the audience can know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He tells the man to walk. He enables the hard thing, having the paralyzed man get up and walk in order to show the even harder thing to forgive sins. Most people don't read it like that, but that's the reality. The hardest thing is to forgive sins, and he forgave all this man's sins. Now, friends, I don't want to minimize the healing of this lame man. It's a big deal. And Dr. Luke, expresses all kinds of miracles, including healing throughout his gospel account. But I think you would agree with me that the greatest healing in life comes from within. To be forgiven by God, can you imagine? I remember the first time I was about 19 years old when I experienced forgiveness on a human level. So I grew up away from the Lord, uh, had a rough ride with my stepfather, and when I was a teenager, he kicked me out of the house. And so we did not like each other, and I say that reverently. And so I'm out on my own, and about a year later, I come to faith in Christ. And God just really said, Keith, you dishonored your dad. You need to go back and apologize. And so one of the first things that I did as a brand new Christian was to go to Tom. I said, would you please forgive me? I've dishonored you. I was a pretty, uh, I was a punky kid, let's put it that way. And what was beautiful about that is my dad forgave me, but then he demonstrated his forgiveness because I asked him, I said, Dad, could I come home? I want to rebuild the relationship. I want to live like a son again who would honor his parents. The old is past, the new has come, could I come home? He demonstrated his forgiveness as an earthly father by saying yes. I'll always remember the year that I came back home, rebuilt the relationship. My mom came to genuine faith in Christ, my dad a few years later. And to receive that gift uh, on a horizontal earthly level from your earthly father was tremendous. Now, let's take it one big step further. How much more so to be, give, to be forgiven by our heavenly father all sins, past, present, and future, forgiven, debt paid in full, every wrong thought, every perverted statement, every confused motive, every diabolical deed, slate wiped clean. That's what we're offered through Jesus Christ. Let me show that to you from Scripture. Colossians is one of the most beautiful passages. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. And when you were dead in trespasses and in uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed us and has taken it out of the way. How? 
We sung about it today, by nailing it to the cross. Debt paid it full. Friends, that's beautiful. And then as we move towards communion, let me show you one more beautiful truth. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made the one who did not know sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might what? Not only be forgiven, slate wiped clean, we might become the righteousness of God in him. Track with me just for a moment. Let's start back to the leper. Unclean, unclean. Now our new identity, clean. Now look at this guy, the lame man. Unrighteous, forgiven, and then made righteous in Christ. Folks, it's not just that our sins are washed away. We are now clothed in Christ's righteousness. And as Jamie says, when God looks down on us, he sees Christ. He sees Jesus' garments on us. This is identity. Unclean, unclean, clean. Unrighteous, forgiven, righteous. And that's how we can walk and live and listen to him. Serve him wholeheartedly. Walk in all his ways. Now, finally, this passage ends up so beautifully. Awe number three, stand in awe of his glory. Look at verses 25 and 26 again. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, went home, glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Folks, that's where God wants to take us. Think about it. When we become clean through Christ, when we're clothed in his righteousness, what happens? We stand in awe of him. We give the Lord glory. So the beautiful result of cleansing and forgiveness and righteousness is worship. John 1.14 The word became flesh, took up his residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when they saw Jesus, they saw the glory of God, and they stood in awe of the Lord. Many years ago, Pastor John Piper wrote a book. It's one of my favorites. Let the Nations Be Glad. It's a missions book, but one of the highlights in the book is this quote. He says this, Missions exist because worship does not. The reason we go and tell others is so that they can enter into a love-worshiping relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what happened here. The leper becomes clean, worship. The lame man is walked, forgiving, righteous, worship. And people saw it and they stood in awe of the Lord. Our new identity from unclean to clean, from unrighteous to forgiven to righteousness, ultimately resolving in worship of God. Isn't that beautiful, folks? That's who we are. That's our great prerogative and privilege. And so as we prepare our hearts right now for communion, I want to encourage you. One final thought. When Jesus reached out and touched the leper, do you know what he did? He entered into the leper's ritual or ceremonial uncleanness. Unclean, unclean, you can't get close, you can't touch. He touched, he became unclean. 
he became sin. God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us, unclean, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That is the gospel, my dear friends. That is why Jesus came, to take away our uncleanness, to forgive us all our debts, past, present, and future, and to impart his righteousness to us so that we might stand in awe as worshipers. He did it all. I'm just overwhelmed with appreciation this morning. My life was a train wreck when I was a teenager. And uh, Christ saved me. I never want to forget the day of my salvation when he reached out and touched me. You grow up without a father. You grow up on the street with a lot of brokenness and your identity's all confused. I had no idea who I was. And then all of a sudden, Christ. I'm a son. Son of the Father. Just so thankful today. I hope you are. I hope this is real for you. To be clean's a gift. To be forgiven's over the top. Then to be made righteous. What a gift. So let's stand in awe of the Lord, okay? Let's keep our eyes wide open today and this week. Pray with me, please. What a privilege, Father, to be worshipers today. And as you told the gal in Samaria, God seeks true worshipers, those who worship in spirit and in truth. And I trust that's West Wind this morning, each and every one of us. So thank you for doing a work through Jesus, work that we couldn't accomplish, Father. Thank you for the gift of knowing you through Christ, of being clothed in his righteousness, and to live with arms wide open, standing in awe of you. What a blessing, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.